These women had been following Jesus from early on. Mark makes it clear that they supported him in his ministry. We don't know exactly what kind of support, but you can imagine that they were financing some of the ventures as they accompanied him throughout Galilee. Uh, They provided food, perhaps. In this case, they were providing funeral spices. The events of this week of Passover surely stunned them. They had heard Jesus speak of his death, but had not anticipated when that exactly might be, nor how it might be played out. As Mark records the story, they were watching from a distance as Jesus was carried up Golgotha, as he bore his cross there, as nails were put in his hands and his feet, as the spear finally was thrust in his side, they had watched him die. They watched his head slump over as he breathed his last. It was an image of horror for them. And then as they realized that he was gone, such sorrow, such sorrow broke in upon their lives. They followed closely behind Joseph of Arimathea, who had been to request from Pilate that he be given permission to bury Jesus in the new funeral tomb that he had etched into a hillside. They followed just to see where Jesus would be placed. They were so connected with him as friend, as master. Out of their love and respect for Jesus, they made their final journey to care for him. They had purchased spices for the purpose of keeping death at bay. You know, this is a hard task, don't you? To keep death at bay. But theirs was an important journey. Not so much for Jesus, of course, but for themselves to be able to move through the loss of Jesus. They were going there to remember him the one who had died for the love of God. It wasn't until they were on the way that they discussed among themselves the situation that they would find at the tomb. They knew that the, the stone could be moved. It had been put in place. It could be moved, but not by these three women themselves. There was no way that they had the muscle power to dislodge it from its place. They wondered to themselves who would move the the stone away from the tomb. And yet soon they arrived and saw the situation was alleviated. The stone had already been rolled back. They had access to the tomb, which they had wanted all along. But when they went into the tomb, things were much different than they had anticipated. There in the tomb, Jesus was not present. And when they looked to their right, there was a young man dressed in white. Perhaps this was a white as it had been described in Jesus. At that point when he was on the mountain, remember, and his clothes were turned so white, whiter than anyone could ever bleach them. This was a white that was not humanly possible. The young man spoke to them and said, don't be alarmed which is what they were. You are looking for Jesus, he said. 
He was crucified, but has been raised. He's not here. Go tell the disciples that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he said. Obviously, this encounter shook them up because they ran for the door out of terror and amazement at what was going on. They had never encountered anything like this in their lives. If this was a test, I would have to tell you, they flunked. They flunked badly. They flunked the test because this young man, this angelic figure told them to go and tell the disciples that he was going ahead of them to Galilee, knowing that the disciples were probably headed to Galilee, which was their home, most of them, that he was going ahead, going to beat them to their hometown. But they did not say a word. They could not take it. Others had heard, do not be afraid from angels. And they had risen to the occasion of not being so fearful that they were completely shut down, but not these three. It was too much for them to bear, at least at first. It's a puzzle. It's a puzzle, I tell you, that Mark would end it where he does. There in the eighth verse of the 16th chapter, just where I've stopped reading, for they were afraid, but more accurately, the translation is this. They were afraid because. This is not only a sentence that has been interrupted, a thought that has been interrupted. This is a conjunction. You don't end sentences with conjunctions. Because what, Mark? The earliest manuscripts have it ending right there. Now, in my Bible, there is a footnote that says, the shorter ending of Mark, and then another footnote that says the longer ending of Mark. Your Bible may say this as well. I want to say, don't do that to me. I don't make choices as to how the Bible is supposed to read. Don't do that to me. Don't give me two endings that I can decide between. Scholars say you don't have to decide because the earliest manuscripts do not have either ending on them anyway. They may have been added decades, if not a generation later. Here we are, poised to understand what Mark might have meant when he ended his words of this holy telling of Jesus' life and his death by saying, for they were afraid. Or they were afraid because. For Mark, this wasn't an ending. It was a beginning. Just like the beginning of the telling of the story. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he begins with the words, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And at the end of his telling, it's almost as if he's starting up again. It is so open-ended that something is beginning. And maybe this is what drove the women's fear, the uncertainty of it all. The uncertainty had hold of them. This is what works on me, the uncertainty of life. That is what really puts its vice on my thoughts and my spirit 
the uncertainty of things. These women had come to conclude their work. Death is black and white. But the angel was telling them that something new had begun. Something that not only involved Jesus, but also, as it were, involved them. They were filled with amazement. In fact, terrified that it was really just beginning that there was some responsibility that they had and that Jesus had left the scene, albeit that he had gone on before them. They had a job to do. They didn't sign up for this. I had a woman come to my office one day. She wanted to know about the church. She had already picked up a brochure. She said, could I talk to you about connecting with the church? And I said, sure, this is wonderful. Come in, sit down. We had conversation together. I answered several questions. And finally, she got around to the right question that she had in her mind. She said, I'd like to ask you, is it possible to come to church without really doing anything? And I didn't know how to answer that one. I thought to myself, people do that all the time, but I didn't say that to her. I wanted to say to her that the gospel has this way of claiming you. It's not so much what you expect to happen, but it has a power all its own. And some of you may be feeling that even as I speak today, the gospel has this power to claim you when you least expect to be claimed and owned for Jesus's work. Some of you know that this is long overdue in the midst of your living. Our post-Easter reality is filled with all kinds of loose ends. We want to tie things up, but our lives are filled with all kinds of loose ends. I look at you and right now you're thinking to yourself, I wonder how long this is going to go, right? Come on. You're thinking to yourself, I'm going to miss my line, you know? Or you're thinking to yourself, my nap's not going to happen at the time that I thought it was going to happen. Some of you are thinking, I've got an army to feed. Won't he let me out of here? I've got to get home. Some of you are thinking, I've got to wash a lot of dishes this afternoon. Some of you are thinking, I didn't get my yard mowed. I didn't get my garden planted. I didn't get my car washed. I really didn't get ready for Easter the way I thought I would get ready for Easter. But doggone it, it came anyway. In all of this, God comes. And these are just the light things that I have mentioned. Not to mention how you and I, if we could, we would tie up all the loose ends of our grief of our sickness, of the angst in our relationships, of the pain and the suffering in this world that we read about every week we come to this new thought of how ugly evil is in its violent nature in the world. Jesus calls us He entrusts to us. Mark draws us in by this open-ended gospel with this one word, because he includes us in the telling, 
You and I have this responsibility. If anyone is to believe that Jesus is alive, you and I are the ones that in all of the loose ends of our lives have got to do something to share this message. Jesus has entrusted this to us. So we become the end of the story. We, we become the end of the story. I stood at the door one Easter as I was welcoming the congregation into the service and one dear friend came dancing up the steps and into the narthex, I mean literally dancing. He was boogieing it. He was moving. And I said, where are you going? And he said to me, he said, I'm looking for Jesus. And I said, I'm with you here now. I said, I said, he is not here. He has gone on before you. And he went down the aisle dancing. He was so excited, so filled with the nature of the possibilities in Christ for his life. Barbara Brown Taylor is a college professor and Episcopal priest well-known, especially in clergy circles, who has written a number of books and preached countless sermons. She expresses her faith in such beautiful ways. People come from all over to hear her preach. A dear friend of mine, an older individual, I'll put it that way, an older individual who has gotten to the point where she's losing her hearing, had decided that she wanted to hear Barbara Brown Taylor speak I was visiting with this individual recently and she said, I've got a new hearing aid device. And I said, oh, and I looked at her ears and she said, yes, she said, those are new, but she said, there's something else. And she held up this little device. She said, actually, what this is, is something that can be clipped to the lapel. And and I said, of the person that you're speaking with. And she said, exactly. She said, it puts a microphone near their voice and I can hear directly into my ears what they are saving. This thing must cost a fortune. I don't know. But it is fascinating to think about. She told me, she said, I went to hear Barbara Brown Taylor speak. And she said, I got up my gumption and I went up to her and I said, would you mind clipping this to your lapel? And she said, sure, no problem. And she said she went back to sit down and to listen and she heard nothing, nothing, nothing. All that she heard was this thump, 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 thump. And she looked up and she didn't even see the little device. And all of a sudden she realized that that little microphone had dropped down into Barbara Brown Taylor's bra. She couldn't hear what she was saying, but she heard every heartbeat, every heartbeat, every heartbeat. These women that came to the tomb, they had no idea. They had no idea what was going on. But I have a feeling that what made this work was that they were hearing the heartbeat of God. Hearing the heartbeat of God. And can you hear the heartbeat of Mark as well? Who is saying, this story is not over. In fact, it includes you. It includes you and I to be the tellers, to be the tellers of this good news. And now for a blessing, an Easter blessing, 
And this is directly from Barbara Brown Taylor's voice. Let me share this with you today. May the news of Christ's risenness touch the dead spots in your heart and bring them back to life so that you become part of the good news that flows forth from this place today. May you be springs of living water in all the dry places on this sweet parched earth. May the fresh life that God has given you spill over to freshen all the lives that touch yours in your homes, in your work, in your schools and neighborhoods. May you be Easter people this day and forever. Amen.